Chapel Commute, Season 13, Episode 5, Young, in which we talk a lot more about teaching than normal. everybody oh, oh hi lindsay <laughs> hello yeah, hi, lindsay. Hi. hi welcome to the temple commute um this is a podcast for language teachers it's not about language teaching but the topic always seems to come up and as my co-host said at the top of the show the topic of teaching is going to come up all over this episode uh let's just introduce ourselves sitting around the podcasting zoom room um i'm one of your hosts lindsay clanfield i'm joined by me and her Okay, names. <laughs> well, I'm Sean, and I'm Sandy. We'll have to get used to this. We we we, we expand the team, and it, it, we we need to work out the dynamics slightly when we throw yes. over to each other slightly. But anyway, yes, we have expanded the team here at Teffel Commute. Um, but this spirit of the show is still the same, and that is that each episode we take a word or a topic and we kind of delve into topic from different angles, although I think we're going at this topic pretty full on. This is a second part of our two-parter series this season. Uh, the first part was old, and the second part here is young. Um, and so I exactly. think when we were talking about this, we've been pretty much talking about teaching young people, about young, young, young learners. Is that because we're, because most of us are too old to, uh, to, <laughs> yes, do, to do anything else? What it's like to be young, but um, well, well, what although, is for... uh, although we do have Sandy with her by the time I'm forty, which caused silence <laughs> uh, yeah. before we even started. That's true. That's oh, true. We will not be sharing our age no, uh, no, beyond no. that in in this episode. However, all of us have had some kind of experience or connection or not in teaching younger learners but my first question to the table is what what do we mean uh these days by a younger learner what is the younger learner like when does it start when does someone stop being a younger learner i think it depends a lot on where you're working so in our school a young learner is defined as seven to 11 years old and then very young learners are four to six and teens are 12 to 15 and then anybody above 16 counts as an adult but, Any, but, but yeah yeah because often we would consider like in materials when we talk about young learners it's sort of thinking of going up to 12 pretty much and then you have like your young your whatever your 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 secondary materials and then adult and young adult although young adults can sometimes go very young like down to down to 16 or 15 or 14. Mm -hmm. uh, yes that's true i know um yeah, I would I would agree with Sandy. I was just thinking. I think in most classes I've taught at sixteen, you get bumped into an adult class. Uh, um, but then prior to that, the, the, the teen class. So we're saying young learners. Young learners are not teens, and teens are not adults. Obviously, Those Those are three. Sweet. Yeah, three groups. Very young learners. Young Four learners, teens. That's right. We've got the very young learners as well. So very young learners would be about before the age of five, before four. Yeah, I guess before school. And that depends a little bit on which country you're in. So like some places it's as young as two, I think, two to six. I've, I have wow. observed teachers teaching two-year-olds. Mm -hmm. Really? 
Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was yeah. out in Vietnam doing a school inspection and watching them there, and they had like these two and three year old classes. Um, and do we have any official word? Is there any official word in one of our dictionaries or books or things like that? Which well, I says thought what the, I thought you were the uh, the book one. Um, <laughs> the uh, Cambridge TKT in Young Learners Handbook. TKT being the teacher knowledge test. Yeah. Knowledge test. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they define it. So, like, it, the term young learner is interpreted interpreted differently around the world, which I think we said. Uh, the YL defines a young learner as a child who is in their first six years of formal education from the age of six to 12. Sorry, they, that's how they define it in the TKT. The age range is used because formal schooling in many countries begins at six, while the upper age of 12 approximates when children uh, begin to experience significant cognitive and emotional changes and become teenagers. Right. And become but that's teenagers. interesting about the, about the six thing, because um, one of the things, um, and, and, and sadly both of us are taught in the Czech Republic, but one of the things that I used to find, we used to, I don't know if you found it um, in your school as well, but when we had the young learners, like the those on the cusp of six, they're trying to learn motor skills of like writing in English that they mm. never learned in Czech. Because the, the Czech school starts later than yeah. a lot of... Uh, it's the uh, same thing in Poland, that we have seven-year-olds here who can't write because they've just started school and they they don't, they haven't necessarily had writing at, at kindergarten or nursery before they come to school. So we have kids in our youngest young learner classes, some of whom can write their name, some of whom can't hold a pen, and some of whom can like write a sentence quite comfortably in English and Polish. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I remember I've done, I think all of us are as teacher trainers, we've done sessions about teaching young learners, or I've been in workshops on teaching young learners. Um, and I, it always amazes me when I either have to deliver one of those workshops or, or more likely go to one just to sort of brush up how much how easy it is to forget those things sort of like well they can't you know they they might you know they can't hold the pen properly at a very young age or they're not writing yet or you know you, you've got to be careful what what you put what, what you put on the board or mm -hmm. like how much they, they they can read and write and so on and even I mean, with the very young learners like some of them have never been in a classroom mm -hmm. and so yeah. when you when you're working with a teacher um, the the playgroup classroom in our school is the other side of my office wall. And so I can hear everything that's happening in the classroom. And quite often it's chaos at the beginning of the year because the kids have never been in a classroom. They've never had a teacher. They have no idea like what being in a classroom means. Yeah. And so the teacher has to teach them basic things like when the teacher says stop and sit down, you need to stop and sit down, you know, or you need to take it in turns you know, if it's a kid who's who hasn't really had much socialization, you know, maybe they're an only child, maybe it's just a, you know, there's a baby at home, but not another, you know, small child for them to play with, they might just be super excited about being with other small people, and they don't care about English at all. And know? I think all of this stuff of like, sort of the differences between a young, younger learners and older learners also, when, now that I'm thinking about it, it's just struck me now, kind of came a lot to the fore uh, during the pandemic, especially here in Spain with like the lockdowns and then sort of like online schooling, which like a lot of the models were sort of like exported, but then with the younger learners was more problematic, you know, so the the, the parents themselves didn't realize everything that entailed what a younger learner in a classroom meant, because I remember parents yeah. sort of saying to me, oh, well, our class, you know, I just wish that the teacher would be able to teach the class properly to my kid and I could just put him in front of the tablet or the computer and just, you know, be done for like, you know, get back to work for, for, for five or six hours. And, and there was a lot more stuff being, you know, written about and talked about saying, you know, there is 
more to teaching young learners than just sort of singing a song and this or, or doing that the sort of that whole socialization and and physical activities you can go beyond that on online though can't you i mean that's a that's a that's the been in was no longer true i think because of the diversification of training but certainly when we trained to be teachers and perhaps when we first became teacher trainers the courses which we ran did very little default. about young learners that's true it was, it, was default, default. Like, it was also like an extra session wasn't it i mean it was yeah. like you would do one input session on young learners and i suppose you could go on and do like an expansion course i'm talking about the four for like uh the, the the four weeks celta or a certificate course sometimes you'd have an like an expansion course or a bolt-on or like the the uh, like a certificate two yeah, yeah. two-week other thing <clears throat> i'm i'm wondering whether we're going to get fewer complaints after the pandemic about uh, classroom control yeah <laughs> because yeah. those parents who are outside your classroom uh, outside the classroom and they come to the school and say why can't the teacher control the class and i feel like there might be more appreciation of yes. how challenging that might be that was also always a common complaint again i think this this idea of the methodology a lot of parents you know they're thinking about the way they learn and, and do stuff and and then they go into a, a what should we call it a communicative classroom and yeah. there's all this noise and they're horrified because they think there's no learning going on but yeah but this yeah. idea that the, as, as Lindsay was hinting at that the methodology and the approach is, is different and, but i think there, that is because and this has been written out about, uh, quite a bit more in language learning there are other differences between older and younger learners in the sense of language learning um so for example you know, the, the, they, they don't have necessarily all the reading and writing skills fully developed yeah. yet. Um, they don't know the meta language necessarily yet, like the like the grammatical words. So often you don't have in younger learner materials, especially there's no sort of like the, the grammar syllabus is not referred to as like now we're doing present continuous. Now we're doing this It's sort of, you know, it's all via songs. Um, when it is referred to as that, it doesn't mean anything to them because they have no idea what that means in their own language. <laughs> they're not old enough to process they, that analysis exactly there has been some written about this as well didn't you have something sean from um oh, you, yeah they for the pinter stuff you, you've hinted at a few of it i mean we talked yeah. about older learners uh in the last episode where and, and i think if we contrast those two things you've got your older learners who obviously are comfortable with school or uh, routines well comfortable they know them whether they're comfortable with them is a different thing um, they show interest in different approaches. You know, they're able to analyze and self-reflect, which obviously our younger learners aren't. They've got a growing, they've got a, a language awareness, as you just said. A, an older language learner is likely to know what the present simple is, whereas your younger learner isn't. The reading and writing skills we've talked about, um, and just actually um, a world knowledge and the the experiential thing, which which. Uh, you know, a, a young I, learner's world is very small. <laughs> I found it very hard teaching my students countries that like the group I'm teaching this year are 10 to 12 year old beginners. And we did countries and they didn't know most of those countries in Polish either. So, yeah. you know, trying to, to get them to think about, you know, Paris is the capital of well, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> why should yeah. I know that? Yeah. And that world yeah. knowledge does make a huge difference. But on the other hand, one of the reasons I always love teaching uh, young learners, and I thought I thought a lot of them, my, my early career is all young learners. And then um, I was kind of, as I got older, I taught young learners. So I taught a lot of young learners. And I do think that 
primary the thing i love about them best is their imagination mm. you know it's the kind of you do when they do get a grasp on the language they can go with it and i used to remember in in uh, the czech republic i used to have a like an afternoon of young learners and we do all these really crazy imaginative stuff about a language point I, i don't know i can't remember what language point but then you go into an adult class with the same language point and just be met with stony silence and like you know come on Yeah. Yeah. And Lindsay mentioned in the pandemic as well, like the big difference I notice, I observe a lot of classes in my uh, school and the massive difference that I notice is that young learners, they'll keep their cameras on, they'll keep the microphones on, they'll join in with the lesson, they'll interrupt you all the time, they want to show you this, they want to, you know, um, every time they get distracted like every three seconds by something you know um how old are you oh you're older than my mom you're younger than my yeah. <laughs> and everything um or or for example we recently did a prepositions lesson so i had an easter egg in a bag so they had to go and find something in that house that that was easter related they just did that by themselves and then they wanted to know the word for everything that they held up in front of the camera and the teenage classes you go into the classroom and you're lucky if like three out of the 12 students have the camera on the microphones are off all the time you ask a question you're met with complete they, silence yeah <laughs> well, that that's a noise that would be a response yeah. <laughs> you put them into breakout rooms nothing happens you know so it, like it's i think it's kind of um it's really shown up just how much kids who are enjoying the lessons will participate yeah. whereas like i think pacing and engagement and variety in lessons has become more important than ever because then if they're engaged they will participate and if they're not they just won't and you can't do anything about it because you can't see them they're not in front of you yeah Exactly. You must work with, well, must, I, I know your, your scenario, you work with a lot of um, relatively new teachers, and mm-hmm. so they've probably done the four-week course. How do they often, you know, and then they arrive with arrive at you at your school and you say, right, here's your young learner class. <laughs> well, so we, we don't tend to give young learners to first-year teachers. Oh, okay. Uh, we do if we have to, but we tend to, we start people off with teens and with kind of intermediate levels. So they, they don't tend to get like those beginners that they can't okay. communicate with or young learners because we then give them intense amounts of training with how to teach teenagers. And then at the end of their first year, they'll do a two-week young learner and teen certificate. And so, then we give them young learners and huge amounts of support with young learners once they've kind of got their head around teenagers. So if you want to go over Sandy, the trick is to fail your teenage teaching, then you won't get a young learner class. That's what you're saying. <laughs> no, <laughs> then you'll get the young learners anyway, but you still oh, have to learn how to teach teens. I ask, because yep. I just, I recall in my days as DOS, I, I, a lot of people that came into the school, into the school where, where, where I was were often like horrified when they <laughs> off you go. Uh, I, uh, one it. of my first cover classes that I ever had to do before I did my CELTA course was the young learner class before and I cover. before I did Ooh. I did my I did a year of teaching before I did my CELTA and I was given a cover class and I'd never taught young learners before and I um I like I went to the teacher trainer teacher training manager and I said to them uh what do I do and they gave me a set of activities and uh I just worked through them and the lesson worked really nicely and I let all of the kids out 
And then the security guard came and said, what, what are you doing? Why have you let them out? And um, it turned out that I'd made a mistake with the timetable. And on one day, the lessons were 3.30 till 5. And on the Uh-oh. other day, they were 4 till 5.30. And I had a 4 till 5.30 class, but I'd let them out at 5 o'clock because I'd finished all the activities. So it must have been the end of the lesson. Oh, <laughs> and dear. then I had to go and gather up. Hey, Sandy <laughs> released a whole bunch of kids into <laughs> yeah. the street. I had to go and gather all these children back from the school site and find like, something to do for 15 like minutes. Like Easter eggs. Yeah. <laughs> we're heading, we're, let's, let's head into a break. But as we do, before we do that, let's listen to two teacher trainers talk about how they feel about teaching YL. Teaching young learners can be challenging and because you have to change activities often and use such a variety of materials, planning can take longer than with adults. Um, However, I find working with children immensely rewarding. When they're engaged with a task, they throw so much energy and enthusiasm into it. They're also not afraid to try things out, um, especially at the younger end. They don't mind about mistakes. They just want to communicate or play the game or participate in the activity. You can really notice the progress that they make, and that's so great to see. Teaching young learners is a surprise. Um, Every class is different. Every group is different. Um, in my experience, whenever I've, you know, prepared for a class, sometimes you have, you know, the same age group, different classes, it's never going to be the same. Um, I think sometimes we sort of expect them to fit into these little boxes, you know, different age groups, different stage of development, but it doesn't work that way. Hey everyone, producer James here to say thanks for listening and just to let you know that if you want to say thanks to us for all the episodes that we've given you for free, we'd be really grateful. We love making the show. It will always be free to you. But there are some costs involved. So if you'd like to help out, go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Commute and buy us a coffee. I'm more of a tea man myself, but I'll still appreciate it. Okay, back to the show. So one of the things I wanted to bring uh, to the podcast today is... Um, one of the perennial questions about teaching young learners, and especially as it comes to like uh, languages and even more especially um, English, and that is the question of like, when is the best age to start? Because I think popular popular wisdom or whatever, most parents in most countries that I've taught in would say, the younger, the better. So there's always been a sort of thing like, oh, if, you know, my kid is four years old and he has a private English tutor, or in our school, we start English lessons, you know, in kindergarten, or we had an English teacher helper come to the kindergarten, or, oh, no, our school doesn't start until they're seven. And then in another country, they're like, oh, we're so behind because we don't start until they're nine. Um have you both, before I tell you what I found on this, and I've, I've heard lots about this, have you heard the same kind of thing as well? Like most people, if, if, you, if you ask the regular Joe, the regular parent, what time do you think the government should make everybody learn English? They'd all be like, yeah, like two years old or... Um, yeah, a little bit. And I think it goes back to what we said at the beginning, that, that even in the context which we've been talking about, we've, we've talked about two-year-olds learning language and um, six-year-olds learning language and the difference between learning a language, learning English or learning Polish in schools or, or those kind of things. I think there, that, that comes up. I mean, it, it, doesn't it play into Chomsky and theory of natural uh, 
natural learning and the innateness of language? Do you want to go down that route? That, no, I don't want to go down that route because I don't want to really go down the route of like first language learning. But I think there is. But one of the one of the problems of this is I think is the uh, the belief that learning a second language in class at one or two hours a week is the same as learning a first language. So that whole like oh they're like sponges they'll just like pick it up and yeah. and and the the mixture so so. So that whole thing of like the child is a sponge and they will just learn and pick it all up magically and they're they're so quick. Uh, uh, I think some of that holds true for languages for like immigrant children, right? So mm -hmm. like if you've arrived in an English speaking country as a child, you will learn a lot quicker it's than if you arrived exposure. as an adult. It's literally it's the the number of hours of exposure and and as you were saying, like I think I think the general like. Um, preferred age here in Poland is like seven or eight but yeah. that's when they're starting to get it at school as well and that's also when they go to school anyway so I don't think there's that many kids that learn it before that although I have noticed that English language kind of kindergartens have become more common like it's more yeah. common to have like an mm. English speaker in your kindergarten classroom or something so the interesting thing though is that if looking at the research that's been done on it um, the research does not, in fact, suggest that younger children learn languages quicker. Although, what oh, really? again, it, in terms of classroom hours. So when it, so what I was looking at is the research when it comes to learning a foreign language in a classroom context. So there hasn't been that much on whether starting earlier is better. So they do find that younger children are enthusiastic, like Sandy was saying before. They may love learning foreign languages and enjoy discovering but they are often slower than slightly older, mm -hmm. um, older learners. So for example, there was one a 2006 project called the Barcelona Age Factor Research Project, which was really interesting. I was taking a look at that. Um, a researcher, Carmen Munoz and her team, um, I'm just reading from the blurb here, capitalized on the fact that the government of Catalonia changed the age at which English was introduced in the classroom in rapid succession. So it created a natural experiment well, where they were able to compare second language learners having started at ages 8, 11, 14, and over 18. And so they followed a large number of learners um, over like 200, 416, and 726 hours of instruction and compared them. And they found that with the same amount of hours, late starters were consistently faster and more efficient. Now, you could argue efficient and better as to meaning what. So, you know, there's, so what does a better language learner mean? Um, but uh, so, so does it mean like it is, is better? is better mean they are more enthusiastic about learning a language and they are more open to learning language so they don't hate it if that's what better is then younger is better but if better is linguistic progress then apparently the evidence is pointing that older children outperform younger children and that their grade of cognitive maturity helps them make the best of the shorter lessons and of the explicit instruction if all things were equal and you could have loads of hours then yes you would start them younger because you could just let the exposure take care of it i suppose yeah i um, think like anecdotally at our school so if you take um kids who or, or people who go into a teen uh, sorry an exam class like first certificate for example we have kind of three kinds of learner who've gone into our fca class a first class we've got the kids who've come all the way up through our young learners and they started when they're seven and they're taking the exam when they're like 15 
16 we've got the kids who've come through our teen classes and had some stuff at school and they they again they come in at 15 16 but they may be only been with us from like 12 or 13 and then you've got the the adults doing it who've had you know whatever experience it's taken them to get them to that level and of those three it will generally be the kids that have come through the young learner classes who get the highest grades mm. because they tend to live in English yeah. and they've caught mm. the bug. You know, they've got the the enthusiasm for English early on. So, like, I think in terms of efficiency, yes, older is better. But actually, what you really want if you're learning a language is motivation. Well, you that's want... the thing. Is is that that was part of that article? I was and the I last think question that's is, true. What does better mean? Yeah. So. Yeah, I think I think that motivation and enjoyment of the language. Yes, you can get it when you're older, but I think a greater proportion of you know, if you've got 12 seven-year-olds and 12 12-year-olds, 12 I think more of the seven-year-olds will finish their year enthusiastic about English and wanting to carry on than the 12-year-olds, depending on the teacher and the environment. Well, I mean, that, and things, does that but... underpin, underpin technique as well? Because, mm -hmm. you know, your seven-year-old classes are going to be, shall we say, more fun. Yeah. Um, you know, there are going to be more songs and games, perhaps, than a 12-year-old mm -hmm. class. And also, they're not critically able to um, argue you know, intrinsic electricity yeah. motivation. Seven-year-olds do it. Oh, it's another. It's a different type of play. Twelve-year-olds are going. Why am I going to English class? Um, yeah, exactly. But I think, and I think that's the thing. If you start them younger, and it's another kind of play, and they learn, yeah, yeah, and they learn the joy and the play of language. Whereas a twelve-year-old, you've got to persuade them that mm. it's fun to learn a language. And I think that's what what I'm thinking of is is it's it's another bit of work for the teacher to do to persuade them to enjoy the language. Again, it's all what we're defining as what better means. Well, better I, mean, yeah. I think the the other thing that is interesting though, and this was um, very has been very um, persuasively argued, is that making English um, earlier in the curriculum, like or making a foreign language, in, in many cases is English earlier in the curriculum, has run into many problems, especially in countries where there are minority languages. So, yeah. um, if so, for example, where I live here in Spain in Valencia. Uh, Valenciano is a minority language here uh, in their area, and there there are laws to protect it, so students have to have to learn it. But the pressure then comes when it's sort of like there are movements to say let's have more English hours, because usually what that means is politically the way it often shakes out is that means we've got to take those hours away from somewhere else, and mm -hmm. they're not going to come away from math, they're not going to come away from science or geography or things like that. They'll come away from the other language and the minority language perhaps as well, and. This has also been so in Spain is one example. So like extra English hours could mean less Valenciano hours. And the same thing, even if you did CLIL, like if you're going to do math and English, then you're not doing it in the other language. So that's where you went into that that problem as well. And, that, and, and they say that this then threatens minority languages. So mm -hmm. English then has that unfortunate role again. Um, it was also especially true in Asia. I was at a conference where they were desperately trying to say to all the ASEAN countries, you know, let's stop, stop pushing it younger and younger. Stop, stop uh, trying to encourage countries to stop going younger and younger for English. That um, that one, it wasn't necessarily working, but two, it was having a really bad effect on local languages and on language development uh, for for other ones in general. So 
just other food for thought, mm-hmm. other right. happy I, thoughts there. It's the middle bit of the podcast thoughts. where we get all serious and discuss. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and on that note, before we, let's uh, listen to uh, two of our trainers again. And then uh, after that, we'll come back and uh, get less serious. So I'd say firstly, that understanding the importance of play and that children learn holistically is essential to anyone working in early childhood English. Uh, I like to use the example of a trip to the beach to explain this. So imagine the children playing in the sea, their discovery of, of their feet, their bare feet sinking in the sand as the water flows back and forth, the excitement as they jump over the waves, feeling the sea trickle through their fingers as they splash each other. Perhaps they're even holding hands, encouraging those who are scared. So if we think about everything these children are learning through their play in the sea, they're learning about physics, nature, their bodies, how to understand their feelings and those of others, amongst many, many other things. And their desire to communicate is based on these experiences. So when encouraging communication in English, we need to consider the whole child and that their physical, social and emotional development go hand in hand with with their emerging language skills. I watched a class the other day of five-year-olds. There were about eight of them. Um, the, the teacher was doing sort of, you know, jumping around, lots of singing and dancing, that kind of things. But I was absolutely amazed um, at what those kids could produce. Um, I mean, the whole lesson was about 50 minutes long, was in English. They used English in a meaningful way. Um, they did this communicative activity, which is a bit like an information gap. Um, the, the teacher had this amazing idea of, you know, he, he used a little sort of rolled up bit of card and the kids had to sort of peer through through the card to, to look at a picture and they had to say what they could see. Uh, I mean, they could clearly see it without the card, but they were just so excited at the idea of the sort of telescope. Um, that, that, it's the joy of teaching children, of seeing that sort of excitement, the very simple things, um, and and the reward of seeing them learn. Um, I mean, I was fascinated by that. You know, f- five-year-olds all speaking English. Uh, their their you know mother tongue was a language which is very different to English. Um, and they were coping and they were using the language and they were excited by it. Yeah, that's the joy of teaching children for me. Okay, so imagine that you are setting foot into a young learner classroom for the first time in a long time. Uh, what would you put into your teaching toolbox, into your teaching rucksack? What would you have with you for young learners? A good, bo- a good bottle of whiskey. <laughs> oh dear. Are the, oh dear, are the kids sure. allowed to yeah. have any? 
yeah. for nap time. Yeah. Um, I think this is a great question because I'm, I've always known, you know, I bet if you took a bunch of English teachers and threw open their bags, it'd be the young learner teachers that would have like the most wild, interesting things in their bags, aside from like a gazillion scissors and bits of colored paper and things like that. What, so what, what three things then do you think that would oh, okay. you would for sure. have? Turn it into yeah. an LTX oh, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's give you some parameters. Could... Okay, so Sandy's going to say, start. Lindsay, answer in a full sentence, please. Yeah. <laughs> you need to justify your answers. Justify your answers. Yeah. Yeah. why. So what three things would I teach if I was going off to teach? Okay, so first of all, do we need to say what age group? I guess like so. The, yeah, well, like is it is it like like six to eight or like 10, 10 years old or like twelve? Well, let's. Why don't we use a TKTYL definition? Let's say six to twelve, and you can choose where where you uh, are okay. in there. So I'm going to be. You always I'll, have to bring in these parameters. I'm going to have right. to. I'm going to be. I'm going to be handling the younger ones. So definitely, I would take. I would take like a puppet. The, like like an interesting puppet or an interesting like um I used to have uh uh uh, uh like um. A teddy bear snake. I don't know, like a plush toy. Teddy bear snake. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't think of the word. I couldn't think of the word. I was trying to explain it in like in, in, in young learner words. The teddy bear. That's actually a snake. Oh, I see what you mean. It was a snake, a soft like a plush, toy. a soft toy. That's the word. Thank you. It was a okay. soft toy, so I would have I would have that a soft toy, a snake, or something kind of like an interesting zoo animal because okay. I loved I loved doing that, like to drill things and stuff like that. I would have that. I maybe have like a big, um, a, a huge dice, like you know, like like a big pair mm. of dice where you'd roll the dice like really big ones. So that, that um, and then I can't think of something else right now, so I'm gonna pass over to Sean. <laughs> So we take um, turns. <laughs> uh, well, I would have uh, my iPad. Oh, okay. So you, you're bringing no, everything think, virtual. <laughs> well, no, there are a couple of reasons why I would have, have my iPad. Uh, one, um, uh, flashcards. Um, okay. Um, then, because I would be able to access lots of different flashcards on my iPad rather than carrying like individual ones around uh, with those. And I think flashcards are very important. Um, in young learner teaching, and uh, now I'm going to get a backlash from young learner teachers saying, "Well, they should be on cards so you can put them around the room and play games with them." <laughs> like and the tactile element. Yeah, it's not just the young learner teachers are going to go on your back for that one. Uh, <laughs> secondly, I'm presuming that I'm I'm course bookless, you see. So, secondly, uh, the iPad will allow me to do a couple of things. Like, I have lots of apps on my iPad. Like, I have lots of things like. Um, uh, Dr. Zeus, Dr. Uh, like the cat in the hat and all those kind of things, which are animated and play the songs and chant. Uh, so I can access those. Uh, yes. So I've answered it just with my iPad. There you go. I think, I think for anybody that <laughs> doesn't that's know, a... Sean, Sean has a young child as well. They're not just his house. He's there yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, got, I... he's got a young learner living in his house. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. All right, Sandy, over what to you. Would what, would you what would you have in your bag? I would probably have a set of like um, colored counters or colored, um, you know, something that's like different colored shapes or tokens or something like, like that. Like poker chips. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they would be perfect. But something, something that you, the kids can t use to like indicate uh, groupings or indicate things that they like or, you know, they can put it, uh, you can say if you're doing prepositions, for example, they could put it under the table, under the chair, but something that's like durable, basically. They could do that with a bottle of whiskey. They could do that with a bottle of whiskey on the table. 
there's only one of those. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't go well with the group unless you've got a really heavy back. I like the counters thing. And that made me think of my third thing, which oh. I don't think exists. But I would love to have it because I'm imagining my teaching situation like a big open space. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a thing like giant-sized Cuisinaire rods? Like like really big, like foamy ones. Like like they may hit each other with them, but it would be so cool. Like you could make all like it would be like a life-sized Cuisinaire rods. And you do all the Cuisinaire rod activities, but they'd have to like like two kids to lift them up and, and put them around. <laughs> You're definitely think, trying to tire them out. <laughs> you think exactly. at this point of the podcast, we have now lost all the young learner teachers. With that. I, think probably, gone, I think we need to hear some real ones going, because they're probably the going the worst episode ever. All right. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's uh, start to draw to a con conclusion. Here are some proper young learner teachers with their their tips for the wild classroom. Hello, I'd just like to share my top three tips for a successful BYL or wild class. Number one, get down to their level to talk to them. Play games on the floor or, or crouch down in front of them when you need to talk to them. Number two, introduce your routines into your classes as soon as you can and make songs and chants your guide to transitions between activities. And number three, catch them being good. Don't focus on the negative behavior, but place value and importance on their positive actions. In the classroom, the children need to feel secure to learn. So the establishment of clear routines will, will give them signposts that reassure these children at such young ages so that they can feel safe to discover and learn. Very young children love to have a good laugh. And I think all good materials and teaching at these ages should be full of content with tons of humor. And, and to finish with another quote, in this case, unknown, a child's laugh could simply be one of the most beautiful sounds in the world. I think that the area which many teachers seem to be most concerned about when it comes to working with young learners is probably classroom management. It's nothing new, but I'd say spending time establishing routines is really time well spent. These will help um, learners feel more secure and confident. I always think it must be quite a strange thing to be a small child and come into a room and not understand all or perhaps hardly any at all of what's being said. Routines ensure that children know what to do, what's expected of them and, you know, what happens next. Um, secondly, I'd say to look at interaction patterns. Uh, a child with nothing to do is a child that's likely to make their own fun. It's not like adults who will sit there politely and listen to their classmates' contributions. A YL teacher really needs to ensure that children are actively involved at every stage. Lastly, um, you have to be fair and you have to be consistent. Um, different classroom management strategies work for different teachers, but underlining all of that has to be this um, idea of consistency and fairness. I mean, these, these aren't new, but it's something I always rely on and I think works, the sort of fun, physical and visual. Um, I think the lessons have to be fun, they have to be engaging. Uh, you, want, you want the children to like coming to your class, you want them to come back, you want to keep the parents happy as well. Um, physical, they have so much energy, they need to get rid of that energy, we need to incorporate sort of physical activities into our class and visual. I mean, a young learner classroom is full of colour, full of uh, 
you know, pictures on the wall, kids' work on the wall, um, all of those things trigger memory and I think engage the learners and, yeah, fun, physical and visual, definitely those three for me. So what have we looked at today? We've looked at what is a young learner? We've looked at uh, characteristics of young learners versus older learners. Our experience limited or not so much in teaching young learners, whether or not it's better to teach, how young is young to teach young learners? What's the best age to begin? I think the, 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 the boat is still out on that one with us, isn't it? Yeah. yeah so. and, and then what we would bring with us uh, to, to teach a young learner class. I want to finish our episode by sharing with you something that I found that was my most favorite bit of young learner teaching material ever. I think I ever saw it was a colleague of mine in Hungary, who around 10 or 15 years ago, when I was giving a talk there said, I want to show you this book that I used to study with when we learned English at school. Um, and, and he said, uh, actually, no, this was not him. It was his parents had learned English with this because he was too young for this. It was a book from the 1950s. Uh, so it was under communist times. And it was a book and it had the best title for a young learner book. The book was called English for the Small. <laughs> English for the small. <laughs> English for the small. And then it was like songs and poems for them all was the subtitle. Isn't that beautiful? English for the small. Songs and poems for them but all. You've got to think, well, is that a bad translation or did, were they just going for the rhyme? And that's the best ah, rhyme. It was that's awesome. a good rhyme. <laughs> but what they had there is they like lots of these, and there was just, there was no like teaching instructions. There was no exercises, no gap fills. It was just little songs little little poems and songs and i don't know the tunes of any of those but one of my favorite ones oh. was a little was a little i'll read it to you in a, in a cadence maybe um was a little song that was that was a, a little communist song for, for young children that you would teach english with so it, it goes like this. it's called the 7th of november and the song goes the 7th of november we children must remember all dear lenin to us said Honor the living and mourn the dead. Honor our fathers and our mothers, elder sisters and brave brothers, all who gave their lives that we might grow up happy, gay, and free. Nice. <laughs> Isn't I like that it. the most fantastic little little well, song? Well, and it was full of those, but that's my uh, suggestion of using Dr. Zeus to uh, the shame, isn't it? <laughs> there we are. That's yes. brilliant. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I think we'll put a, a copy of that page up on the website. So if anyone wants to see it, I've, I've shared it various times on my Facebook, but we'll put it up there. So the 7th of Got November from the, to go with it well. from the English textbook, English for the Small. From English for the small, which uh, which is uh, which is Lindsay Cranfield's new course book. Yeah. <laughs> yes, or yeah, English for the big as well. <laughs> anyway, everybody, that's us. That's from us. Uh, where can you find more about us? Well, they could try finding tefelcommute uh, dot com. They'd probably find uh, all the episodes, episode guides, and stuff there. Ask you anybody else wants to go for Instagram? Yeah, I think we're on all the places. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. On Twitter. All of all of social media places, and we love to hear from listeners. So please let no, us no, know. No, we don't. You... Not, not after this episode. We do not want the criticism <laughs> well, for our you... choice. <laughs> or you can tell us other things that you would take on a trip to a young learner uh, retreat, um, <laughs> or whether or not you think uh, younger is better when it comes to learning languages. Anyway, I think we'll end on that note. And thanks everyone for listening. Bye, Thank Lindsay. You. Bye, Sandy. Bye, Sandy. Bye, Bye Sean.
As your commute is coming to an end, here's an idea you can take into class. Set up a situation for your students. For example, they're going on holiday to a country they've never visited before, or they're simply visiting the park. Ask your students to think of three things that they would put into their bag to take with them on this trip. Each student thinks of their ideas alone, and then they work in pairs to choose three things from their six that they have together. And then if you have time, they could work in larger groups, or you could even come up with a, a, a selection of three as the whole class together. At each stage, the students should justify why they're taking those things with them. That's a really interesting insight into what your students uh, think might be useful in a given situation, and it allows them to really play with their imaginations. You've been listening to The TAFL Commute, an original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Clamfield, Sean Wilden, Kerry Jones, Sandy Millen, and James Taylor. You can support this podcast at buymeacoffee.com forward slash TAFL Commute. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast player of choice, and by visiting us at tefelcommute.com.